Hi everyone and welcome back to Parliamental. I'm Jerry Maguire, your co-host of the podcast, alongside Anne McLaughlin. Gong Hei Fat Choi, Anne. Oh hi, Gong Hei Fat Choi. Or the other one is, if you want to do it in Mandarin, it's... Um, uh, oh, I'll remember before the end of the programme. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. But also, happy Valentine's Day. And you? I've got my wife Paula a great present today. I woke her up early. <laughs> you know, she's in bed, woke her up and I said, you're coming to do a podcast today. So, hi Paula. Hello, how are you? Uh, I'm doing good, yeah. So why have you come along today, Paula? Why are you here? Well, apart from the fact that I never get anything romantic for Valentine's Day, so this <laughs> is kind of my present. Um, basically, I'm here today because I've never been here before, um, so therefore it is an adventure. Um, I'm the adventure columnist for the national newspaper so I try new and sometimes quite ridiculous things every week and I report back on how badly I've fared basically <laughs> so um so yeah I'm here to join parliamental for a week um to report back on how fabulously set up it is and to sit in this <laughs> wonderful purpose-built sound studio you guys say we're sitting here again Anne and I are again on the iron board soundboard <laughs> iron board but Paula's got some equipment here Paula's got like a wee microphone stand and all sorts I've got my own wee bit my own wee, my um, wee sound stage of my own yeah she's quite fancy can I just say we're not on the ironing board no <laughs> No, we're not on that. It's <laughs> a nice image there. For you. Um, but yes, yeah, so I'm sitting here with an MP and a writer for the National. So I'm the weak link in this chain, everyone. Yeah, you are. <laughs> we agree. <laughs> All right, it's going to be like that. Is it okay? Cool. Anyway, and last time we met, you spoke about an upcoming Prime Minister's question, and you were considering whether to go with like a like a, an international issue or a local issue. Mm -hmm. And uh, you went with a local issue. So before we talk about it, let's hear it. And McLaughlin. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. My constituent works for the DWP and he tells me that the government is correct when they deny that staff have targets set for sanctioning benefits. They're not called targets, they're called aspirations. Can I ask the Prime Minister, with the rollout of in-work benefit sanctions, how many of his own low-paid DWP colleagues should my constituent aspire to sanction this year? Yeah. What, what I'd say to the Honourable Lady is that sanctions in a benefit system are important. We want a benefit system that's there for people who can't find a job, who need support. But it's not, it shouldn't be a lifestyle choice. And if people can work, they should work. That's why we have a sanction system. And I believe that sanction system is fairly applied. So that was like a really powerful point you made about the DWP. And um, without giving anything away, what was the background to that aspiration that you mentioned in there? Ah, right. So somebody I know who works for the DWP had uh, been telling me how awful it was and how much pressure people are under when they're working there. Um, and he said, and I said, and do you actually have targets? And he laughed and he said, no, no, they're not called targets. They're called aspirations. We have to aspire to sanction this number of people. And they've always denied it, but it's true. They have these targets, um, which kind of defeats the what they say is the purpose of it. You know, because if you have to target a certain number of people, what if you don't have that certain number of people who meet the criteria? And they don't, because a lot of these sanctions are overturned once uh, people appeal, but most people don't appeal. Yeah, so let's say for a minute there is a problem in certain areas with some people. Don't know if there is, probably not. But let's say there is. A target doesn't actually address that. No. You know, you should investigate people if you think they're up to no good and you should proceed about them as individual cases and not just have a number to get to. But I suppose they can say hand on heart they don't have targets. Well, because they've got aspirations, but they yeah. definitely don't have targets. <laughs> the language you know, of it is absolutely disgusting, though, uh, isn't it? That mm -hmm. aspiration, making people aspire to hurt mm -hmm. other people is just Aye. absolutely disgusting. I know. 
and and the other thing is that that in actual fact, if somebody, I mean, the, they say that they want to sanction people who are not doing enough to find work, right? That's not what happens. But even those people who are not doing enough to find work, that can be for a whole load of reasons. And sometimes, sometimes when I was unemployed and I was signing on, sometimes there were weeks when I didn't apply for anything because the previous week I'd put my heart and soul into applying for maybe five or six jobs that had taken me a day to do each application form and I'd heard nothing. I was getting nowhere. So you do get weeks where you just think, I don't even, I don't have the confidence to do this. I can't keep putting myself through the ringer like this. Um, so even the people that they say the sanctions are for, I don't think it's the right, I don't think it's going to help them. It's not going to make a difference. And also, I mean, David Cameron basically sidestepped it, talking about something completely different. It's not the question that you asked. Well, the thing is, I was asking about in-work benefit sanctions, which is now coming in. So somebody who works, and I gave the example, a lot of the DWP workers themselves are part-time, or they're not part-time, but they're so lowly paid that and because of their family circumstances, they have to apply for a universal credit. So they get top-up benefits. Lots of people are in that situation. They're now going to sanction people who are actually working and getting top-up benefits on the grounds that they're not working hard enough to find better paid employment or they're not working hard enough to get extra hours. So you could, you will have a situation where the DWP staff are sanctioning other DWP staff and it could well be those people who are part-time and in, on in-work benefits that are sanctioning other people in exactly the same circumstances. It's just wrong. If you're in work and you're not getting paid enough, that's not your fault. Yeah, headline, headline policy making is usually quite terrible. Something that sounds really good in a one-sentence soundbite or sounds really hard in a one-sentence mm -hmm. soundbite, actually, when you look at the details, kind of falls apart. Yeah. And this sounds like it's really one of them. Yeah. But, they, you know, you, as you say, he didn't answer the question. He dodged it altogether. I knew he would, because what is the... How can you answer that? You can't justify it. Mm. Um, this has been, I suppose, a fortnight of questions for you. You also had a question, uh, Scottish questions, and somebody on Twitter said that you, quote, gave Pretty Patel the severe Malky. <laughs> That was shug, wasn't it? Yeah, so can you talk us through this Malky? Was it a, was it a, did you reach across the floor with the Malky? Or was it a... I think what Shug was talking about on Twitter, he lives in, I think it's uh, Blornock he lives in, so he's one of my constituents. I think what he was talking about might have been after I asked the question and she was giving me her usual glib non-answer, I was shouting over at her because I was so angry because basically my question was about um, the powers over employability support, in other words, helping people back into employment, the powers over them, they've agreed that they will be devolved to the Scottish Government. As soon as they agreed it, they cut the funding by 87%, right? So basically, hands tied, yet again, you've got the powers, but your hands are tied because they've cut the funding and uh, there's going to be like £7 million for the whole of Scotland for the next year, I think it is. So I was asking about that and how what she had to say to my constituents. Uh, because to me, it was a political thing. It was about um, saying to the SNP, ha ha, see how you get on now. And that's all well and good. That's your jolly little wheeze. But what about the constituents, the people it's actually impacting on? So I was asking her about that. And her answer was something like, we'll be very happy to work with Scottish Government ministers to look at extending employability support. And I'm shouting over to you, you've cut it by 87%. How can you extend it? It's not possible to extend after a cut like that. So I was getting quite angry. So I don't know if they showed that and that's what Shug was talking about. But I really did like that tweet, <laughs> the severe Malky. 
<clears throat> it's um, it plays into that narrative again about things being devolved to the Scottish government uh, that the Scottish government aren't using, which is something mm. the Conservatives really seem to be pushing. Aye. And again, it's another power that's been devolved, so it's mm. a headline. But underneath it, if it's what eight seven percent cut from it, like what is it? Is it just paperwork powers you've got? You've got yeah. you've got nothing. Seven million pounds for Scotland. Exactly. And then I, th- I suppose their argument next is the same with the fiscal framework uh, thing that they're trying to work out. Their argument is, well, you'll have the power, so you, we've cut that by eighty seven percent. But you've got the you've got other powers now. You can bring in that money, but why? You know that was not part of the agreement. It was not to be to the detriment of Scotland or anybody. But so you know you've got those powers, but you're going to be so busy using those powers to claw back all the money that's been taken away from you that you're not going to be able to use them to bring in additional resources, which is the whole point of doing it. I mean, if people thought similarly, if um other powers were devolved to Scotland, but they cut them by eighty seven percent, would anyone think that they'd truly been devolved? Well, that's it. I mean, imagine the NHS had never been devolved and now we were talking about, OK, you can you can have the NHS, you can have power over the NHS, but we're going to cut the funding by 87%. I mean, the whole thing for me, though, just keeps on underlining this argument we've always had about independence. They shouldn't, another country shouldn't be able to determine our spending. They shouldn't be able to cut anything because it shouldn't be anything to do with them. We should just have all the powers that we need to run our country and then we'll not need to worry about other countries and their decisions and them cutting because it'll be nothing to do with us. So, and King Abdullah of Jordan said in a TV interview that Jordan couldn't take many more Syrian refugees. He says that they've taken 1.4 million but I've read reports saying that it's nearer 600,000. Either way, though, that's quite a big number for a country of 6 million people. How many Syrian refugees has Britain taken in in comparison? I think the, they agreed to, was it 10 or 20,000? 20, 20,000, I think they went up to. But, but whatever, you know, in comparison to that, mm. it's a drop in the ocean and we've got 10 times the population. Uh, we wouldn't notice that whereas for them you know that must be really incredibly difficult i'm really really embarrassed by the the british government and their attitude and and they get i mean some of them you know get really upset when you say that there were a couple of debates this week um that allowed us to talk about this and you know they get really upset and they say but what about all the good work we're doing and but i'm not denying and neither is anybody that speaks out against the general policy, not denying that they are doing really good work for some people, but just not for enough. And then they come back and they say, well, give us a number. And we're like, well, it's not about giving a number. It's just about saying, take your proportionate share. They won't take any who've made their way to Europe already. And um, and yeah, what is their answer to Jordan? You know, what, Why is Jordan supposed to be responsible for that number of people? Greece as well. I mean, look at what was happening to Greece. The story about Greece now is about the refugee camps. But in actual fact, the story about Greece was about their own people living in dire poverty, about the increase in suicides amongst people because they're not able to help their own people. And they're in a really tricky situation. And they're taking in many, many more than we are. So it just... You know, I'm embarrassed and, you know, as one of my colleagues said in a debate this week, when we look back, sorry, I'm getting a wee bit distracted by by the cat running about. Tinkerbell has leapt up somewhere and is staring at the ceiling. (laughs) Tinkerbell's practically on the ceiling. Oh, my God. Um, uh, Yeah, one of my colleagues was saying this week, when we look back in history, what are are they going to say about 
Britain's involvement in this refugee crisis. Nothing good. Nothing good at all mm. because it's a drop in the ocean compared to all these other mm. countries. Uh, Mary Black also wrote recently in the National about um, support amongst the population for confiscating goods from uh, refugees, which is really weird. I'm guessing you're not up for the confiscation of goods from refugees to pay for their asylum. Who said that? Ma- it was a, an opinion poll and uh, Mary Black wrote a piece about it saying that this, basically decrying it, saying this is shocking. There's a kind of growing opinion that oh, if, if, you're coming here as a, <laughs> if you're coming here as a refugee that you should basically, you know, take out your gold teeth, shake uh-huh. out your wallets, etc. <laughs> so it's pretty grim. I mean, would, I'm guessing you're not for that, Anne. I'm not for that and I think they did it in... It might have been Denmark. Sorry, Dan, Denmark, if it wasn't you, but I think it probably was. I don't know if they took out their gold teeth, but basically any goods that they had, they had to hand over. And um, no, come on. I mean, the, you know, you've got to give people their dignity. And, and you know, it's not like our support for asylum seekers and refugees is, you know, costing us an awful lot of money. It's, you know, it would be a tiny drop in the ocean if they were to hand over their, I don't know, their mobile phones, you know, the only means with which they can contact their family. Um, or if they've got something, I don't know. I, I don't know. I don't know what they could be suggesting, but I think it's a ridiculous idea. Yeah. And it's also, again, the kind of the, the poor person that needs to shake out all their, all their pennies at their pocket. There's plenty of, I mean, there's plenty of Russian businessmen living in London who maybe can't go home. For various reasons, and we're not putting a windfall tax on them. That's that's a very good point, Jerry. We could start with that. You yes, know, let's I'm sure do that. Ni- well suited men in London that we could shake down for some money before we go after some poor bugger that's got a ten on his pocket. Uh-huh. Um, but again, you're talking about that kind of value for money thing and like cost. And you were in a you talked in a debate about asylum support contracts, which is a really murky area for me. It sounds like a nightmare. Mm-hmm. Um, but the debate did seem to be about from the, the Tories said anyway about value for money for these contracts. Mm-hmm. We're paying this company money. Are they delivering goods and services? Um, I don't think that's the right way to talk about asylum, is it? No, to talk about it, whether the, the whether whoever it is the company you're contracting is doing it well enough. No, and that that's where that's what where they've got it all wrong, and that's what needs to. And I think I was trying to argue this in that debate, except I was being I was I think I was summing up in that debate. I don't know. I spoke in three debates that day, so I think that was the one I was summing up in. But the chairperson was doing this to me to wind up. I'd only been speaking for five minutes, so I'm not sure if I got the bit where I was saying, you know. We can't operate along the lines of knowing the cost of everything and the value of nothing. And what they need in terms of asylum support is a cultural change, dramatic cultural change within that says this is not about the money it costs. Obviously, you've got to keep an eye on the finances. There's no reason why you can't do that. But the priority is about the support that you give. And these uh, contractors are getting the contracts because they come up with the the cheapest price, mm-hmm. right? Which is why they find themselves in situations where they go and buy their cheap red paint and paint the asylum seekers' door red. They give them armbands. There's more to come out in the next couple of days that I think will utterly shock people even more. And it's to do with Glasgow, that's all I can say. Keep your eye on the papers this week because there's more happening. And and you know, from what I've heard, it's pretty explosive stuff. And it all comes back to this thing of contracting, not who's going to create the best holistic service for the asylum seekers and the refugees, but who's going to um, basically do it cheapest. It's the way governments and local authorities really abrogate responsibility from, you know, they've got a moral responsibility to do it, but if you subcontract a company, 
then it's getting out of your hands. Yeah. And it's their responsibility. It's not you. You just passed it on to this contractor. Yeah. You've, your hands are clean. It wasn't you. Mm. Um, but yeah, they'll, I mean, ultimately you end up with wristbands on people and, and doors painted, that which we'd be horrified about if it was oh, no. the, the local authority, but they're complicit oh, in no. doing it. But the thing is, although there was an urgent question, and it was one, it was, there was an urgent question asked uh, in the Commons about the painting of the doors, it was either the painting of the doors or the wristbands where it later, and the government said, yes, terrible, terrible, we would never have done that. These are our contractors. We'll speak to the contractors. We'll investigate this. And it was either the wristbands or the red doors, I can't remember which, that the Home Office had gone out and inspected and had been aware of it and done nothing about. So they're only going to do something about, about it when they get found out. So we've been pushing for a full inquiry into these contracts and how they're awarded. And I think Labour's been pushing for the same. Um, and I think after the stuff that's, if it comes out this week, um, I think probably we'll be able to force them into that. And to bear in mind that James Brokenshire, who's the immigration minister, was not the one who awarded these contracts. He inherited them. And I think he, from speaking to him, I think he does have some understanding that maybe it wasn't the best decision. Mm -hmm. It's been um, been quite a lot going on about refugee policy and stuff. You, you summed up in a debate on the UK government policy and refugees. I know you've never wanted to be a front bencher, but you did sum up from the back benches, which was noted. <laughs> um, so just can you give us, like, what was the gist of that debate? What are we talking about? Because UK government policy and refugees is a big topic. So oh, well, what was going on? Well, that's an interesting one, actually, because that was our debate. So uh, myself and uh, the other four MPs who are in the SNP Justice and Home Affairs team all tabled for that. We called it, not UK policy on refugees, we called it the um, the economic benefit or the economic impact of refugees on the UK. And we weren't allowed to call it that because that expresses an opinion. It's just to do with what they'll allow you. Now, they changed it to that. I wasn't there. I, I probably wouldn't have accepted that change because that's just not clear at all. But um, it meant that it was in Richard Arkless's name, who's the SNP MP for Dumfries and Galloway. It was in his name. So he had to go by what it said on there. So he just had to talk about it. But because I was summing up, after I'd summed up what other people had said, I, was allowed, I could then go on to what I actually wanted to talk about. And that was the impact of refugees on the UK. Because we're trying to turn the narrative around from, you know, refugees and asylum seekers are taking to what they're giving because the whole debate around immigration in general and is coming from the Tories is about immigrants taking. Um, I was on a committee a couple of weeks ago where they were talking about pushing the visa fees for immigrants way up, particularly for families, not for big business that can afford it. So the fees are to rise and the reason was because ideologically they believe the only people who should be paying for these things are the people who benefit from it. So they, in their eyes, and that's them clearly admitting that they don't believe that the UK benefits from having immigrants here. Only the immigrant benefits. But they'll never say that out loud, but that's what that means. So we're trying to turn that narrative around and we're trying to just keep on talking about the positive impacts that refugees have had. Um, and if we didn't have refugees here, we wouldn't have Marks and Spencer, you know, a whole load. I reamed off a whole load of other ones. So that was basically what we were trying to do with that debate. Yeah, you mentioned M&S, Mini Cooper, Fish and Chips as well. So there's... <laughs> it's, um, it's, um, it's, See what your heart like? I've, I've, I've not had breakfast this morning, so I'm quite <laughs> um, But yeah, it's back to that kind of Tory idea of strivers. 
that basically everyone's working and everyone, no one's taking, everyone's putting mm-hmm. it into the system, mm-hmm. no one ever takes, and it's only people who come here taking. We don't mm-hmm. realise that we all benefit. We all, it's mm-hmm. circular. Everyone pays in their tax, does their bit, gets mm-hmm. a benefit, works hard, gets free prescription. It all it's circular, mm-hmm. but it's just seen as migrants that's never seen as them contributing anything to society. Yeah. And the thing is, a lot of people who come here as, you know, they, so they, they apply for a, a visa to come and work here rather than coming through the asylum route. So they're not entitled to claim asylum. They don't need to claim asylum. They simply want to emigrate here and work here for a while, as many of our people do to lots of other countries around the world. When they come, they are only allowed to come if they pay these visa fees, but also have a certain income and a certain amount of money in the bank so that they are not taking from the system. So all they're taking from the system, in effect, is maybe healthcare or whatever. But when they're here and they're working and they're earning, they're paying taxes like everybody else. So they are required to have an awful lot more financial security than any of us in order to be allowed to stay here. So... We need to keep getting those facts out there because I, I'm getting really tired of reading and hearing people saying, you know, even people who say, yeah, we should take people in, but they say, you know, because we've got a duty to the rest of the world. Well, yeah, we do. We all have a duty to each other, but that's not us showing an obligation. We're benefiting from that as well. I mean, and one of the reasons why we're thinking of an extra obligation is Britain is famously a land of uh, immigrants. You know, that's one of the reasons why loads of people want to come here is because we've probably burnt down their house a couple hundred years ago. Yeah. And their country's now in tatters and they want to come yeah. come here. Yes. We have amends to make for <laughs> yeah. the empire. Yeah. So. Every street in Glasgow, <laughs> every street name in the city centre tells a story about oh. why maybe someone's, someone's wanting to come here because oh. we took all their money. Yeah. Alison Theolis has called for infants to be allowed into the Commons Chamber for feeding. Um, and what's your take on this? Uh, I think Alison's amazing. Um, I think she's absolutely right. I remember when she had a wee boy, Alexander, who's, well, I suppose he must be coming up for six now. Uh, she was a counsellor and she didn't ask anyone's permission. She just simply took him wherever she went on her council duties and she breastfed him in the chamber. And I know there were some people didn't like it. And she did. She knew there were mutterings, but nobody dared say anything to her. Um, and she just boldly went ahead and did it. And then she had Kirsty a couple of years ago. And um, aye, she's absolutely right. I mean, if she hadn't been able to do that, she would have not been able to do her, her role properly. So, no, she's quite yeah, right. It's like a microcosm of all the issues that women face in politics, in any sort of job like that, where it's like you have to choose. Mm-hmm. And to be honest, like, when I first read about it, my first thought was, it's a bit much in it. Taking a kid into the commons, come on now, sort it out. And then like, that was like my first initial reaction. Mm-hmm. But after like 10 minutes of thinking about it, I thought like, who does it hurt? Yeah. You know, what, what negative is it really? Yeah. It just means that people can still have kids, can still do stuff. She can obviously multitask. It's not like preventing yeah. her doing her work. And also, you know, so what if the baby starts crying? Well, it'll drown out the farmyard animal noises <laughs> coming from the Tory boys, mm-hmm. won't it? So even that, I don't have an issue with. Yeah, it'd be a vaguely, it'd be a vaguely natural noise instead of this weird haunted groan. <laughs> <laughs> that might set the kid off. Kid might like it. Kid might start adopting that as its cry. <laughs> And also just a quick thing about Trident, uh, Nancy Swordberg, I'd never heard of, former advisor to Bill Clinton, said in an interview in the past week or so that Trident was a symbol rather than being useful. So, I mean, Anne, this is the first you've heard this. You're obviously shocked at yeah. hearing this, that Trident's useless. Yeah. Say the Americans. Yeah, I'm going to be against it now. <laughs> <laughs> 
And it comes about if, it's, if it is just a symbol and people that sell is it a symbol and the people that are meant to be our pals tell it's a symbol, like how much money is it worth really? Could we not just buy a symbol? Like why a big, don't, yeah, why don't we just get a big massive gold sovereign ring and yeah, wrap it around yeah, actually, the West Coast yeah. of Scotland? A big sovereign ring. Uh, just a big symbol. Know, if you want to stay simple, there you go. Yeah, everyone can wear it. At the <laughs> Have a wee shot. Have a wee shot. Um, yeah, so just interesting that even the Americans are like, that's worthless. Well, one American. Well, one American, that's but true. But one quite significant American. Yes. Um, also, I want to ask you about your interns. Well, not interns anymore. Can I, assistants, I suppose we call them. Case workers. Project workers. Project workers. So just asking how that's going and um, what kind of progress has been made. If you've got anyone in place or if you're still looking for folk. Well, the, no, the deadline was uh, the 2nd of February. So, um, and that was the extended deadline. Yet we ended up getting a lot of applications and we interviewed... Well, I didn't interview. The control freak in me is leaving I actually and I'm really proud of myself I allowed the team to sift through the applications um, and decide who was to be interviewed I mean we had a lot of discussion me and the team were, were on the same page and everything that we want to achieve in the next few years right but we had a long discussion about what I'm actually looking for what kind of qualities I need and they decided who to interview they in they're very experienced at doing this anyway they interviewed on Friday and they're doing more interviews on Monday so that'll be the 15th of February and then on the 16th we will have two interns uh, project workers and on the 18th I will meet them and on the 22nd they will start working and uh, but they they knew all the applicants knew you know they were going to have to stick to that timetable so i'm very excited about it i mean we did have a chat on friday night we went through everything that they'd established from the interviews that they'd already had um but it's great it's really good for me because you know I, i'm aware that there were some snp members had applied Personally, if I'd been left to shortlist, I would have said, oh, well, I can't not interview that person because I know them. And then I can't not interview that person because they live in Black Hill and Black Hill's an area where there's a lot of people, you know, could do with a bit of support. And and so I would be looking at it with the wrong kind of <laughs> perspective. Yeah. Um, so I'd have interviewed everybody. But I'm, and I'm really, really sorry for people that, that didn't get an interview, but it doesn't need to be the end. We'll be doing it again if the budget allows next year. We're also looking at developing really good quality volunteering programmes that will help us, but also help you. And um, yeah, well, we'll th this is not the end. And just not getting an interview. The people that didn't get interviews, it tended to be, as I understand it, because they didn't address the question in their letter about why they, their skills would apply to the job. And that's something I've been guilty of in the past. I just send a letter about myself, but really what we need is for you to tell us in that letter why you would be really good at this particular role. Yeah, application skills maybe rather than experience or your, your confidence in them. Aye. Other local news, I suppose, Ivan's crowdfunder, Ivan McKee, soon to be SNP MP for Glasgow Province launched this crowdfunder campaign and just to let people know you can donate to it by searching Ivan McKee crowdfunder on Google and I'll stick a wee link in the show notes as well. Have you seen that crowdfunder yeah. page? I have. 
have. Yes, I've shared it as well. Um, yes, no, I'll, just to say that the reason why I think it would be good if people donated to um, Ivan McKee's crowdfunder is because is the same reason that I think Ivan would be great if he was elected as the SNPMP. You've got to remember this is one of the toughest seats to win. Glasgow Province is one of the toughest seats to win. Not because the Labour MSP here is spectacularly good, but just because there's a really strong Labour tradition here. Now, we managed to overturn it last year, but don't, don't let that lull you into a false sense of security. The reason I want Ivan elected regardless of the fact that he's SNP, is because he's got a really strong business and industrial background. And I want to work with him. One of my project workers is going to be looking at how you bring employment to the area, how you in increase people's employment chances, how you get employers to come here and set up. Um, and Ivan is really experienced in all of that. So I think for me, you know, with my sort of community education hat and his business and, and industry background, I think would be a really good combination. And I think this area would benefit so much from us working together to try and improve the employment prospects of people. So that's why I think people should go on and whatever you've got, even if it's just £5 or £10, much appreciated, just donate to his campaign. I think it's a great point. You'd be a good dynamic duo, the pair of you. Like you're saying, you've got a lot of advocacy <laughs> background and Ivan's uh, a lot of experience in business. Yeah. And that's this area does need both. Yeah. It doesn't just need one of them, it needs both of them to be kind of addressed. So yeah. yeah, it'd be great. So everyone, if you want a crowdfunder, search for Ivan McKee and sling him some cash. And that brings us to the end of another episode of Parliamental. A different episode, I have to say, because we had a guest here, <laughs> Paula. <laughs> yep, very quiet guest. Now, Paula, you've presented on Radio Scotland. Yes. You've been on Radio 4. <laughs> so just want to know, how does this how does this setup compare <laughs> to that experience? How, do, how does being on Parliament? I mean, obviously, it's, it's got to be up there. It's in yeah. the top. Well, Radio Scotland doesn't have a Tinkerbell, I have to say. Um, <laughs> Number one. <laughs> Um, uh, no, it's, it's been fab. It's been great. Um, I, I found it really difficult because you guys have got such a lovely rapport and um, it's just really nice to watch you just having a conversation. It is exactly how it sounds. This is not done in the edit. They do sound like this. <laughs> um, yeah, and I'm, I'm basically just glad to get through it without getting the severe malky from Anne here. <laughs> As if I would. Anne's got, Anne's got a severe malky to dish out. So we're not, I know this. We're not at the end of it. Um, so yeah, so thanks for coming along. No, thank you for having me. Thank you both. Yes, no, thank you, Paula. It's been really nice. In fact, you could come back next time and just leave Jerry at home to <laughs> do the, Well, do I mean, you know, work. Paula's very busy um <laughs> i'll be sure to write nice things yeah. for, uh, about you That's guys right. so this, of course oh i bet i'm going to be even nicer now <laughs> this is going to be written up in the national so this will be out today i'm going to edit this today so this will be on sunday and it'll be next saturday coming saturday that this will be in the national so we're getting a good write-up thumbs up yeah it'll be lovely be really kind um, <laughs> and I'll, I'll not say anything about the ironing board nothing at all about the we do board. have to take a photograph for it so uh, we'll gather see. around the ironing board guys <laughs> But anyway, so thanks everyone for listening. If you'd like to get in touch with the show, you can contact us on Twitter at ParlamentalPod, on Facebook, search for Parliamental, and via email at parliamentalpodcast at gmail.com. Subscribe to us on iTunes and leave a review if you like the show. Anne and I will be back in a fortnight, Anne. Yep. Cool. So I'll see you then, everyone. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye. Bye.